I just feel there's a lot of people that don't know what they're capable of in all parts of life. Like that's too extreme. That's too hard. That's too uncomfortable. Whitewater paddleboarding as a, as a sport, it is a hard sport, but it's a lot easier to get into than you think. The community sense of what pat, river paddleboarding provides is unmatched in a lot of other things because it's also new enough. You don't have like the the like surfer mentality where it's like, you know, the old point break where you're beating up the guy that dropped in on your line kind of thing. Like the best guys are like, dude, try, you know, try changing your stance up like this. Come paddle with me and try some different things. So I, I have a very positive outlook in where it's headed. Paddleboarding as a whole, obviously, is blowing up. The river paddleboarding, I think, is a little slower just because the intimidation factor. But I think we're slowly getting around that and just seeing more good drone footage of what it's like to paddle 10 miles of class two, low class three. Like it's, it's much more accessible than people think. Monday, May 11th, 2020. Sup everyone, I'm Paul Clark. Sup Paul, welcome back to the podcast. In this episode, we're meeting the visual raconteur, Andy O'Brien. Royal Blue O'Brien, if you follow him in social media. He is an adventure traveler, a river paddleboarder, a rock climber, and a distributor for hair styling goods to the best stylists and salons throughout Colorado. I've had the fortune to paddle with him in a few rivers, including Colorado. We paddled at the GoPro Games in Idaho, but something that will not leave my memory anytime soon is our travels through northern Patagonia, especially on the Petroway River. Great river, great times. Andy is a great character. Stay tuned. I think you'll like this interview. Without further ado, here's Andy. this interview do i address you as andy o'brien or royal blue uh dude you can i go by so many things these days you can call uh -huh. Andy. andy's probably easier i mean most people these days either call me andy or just like aob for andy yeah. o'brien mm -hmm. i mean whatever you're more comfortable with it makes no difference to me royal blue is like royal blue is when i know somebody doesn't know me in person you know, they're okay. like, oh, hey, Royal. I'm like, okay, that's somebody. It's, it's, it was never a plan, but it's like a nice side thing. Like, oh, okay, that person doesn't know me in real life. They only know me on social media. So it's kind of been like a good filter. Yeah, exactly. And, and Royal Blue came out from, what's the order Royal that Blue, you told me? Dude, Royal Blue, it's a lyrics to a Cold War kid song. That's where it originated from. When I, I was really late to the social media game, like I think I've only been on Facebook eight years maybe, um, initially it was like I didn't want, I had to kind of worry, my, my worry was like clients versus girlfriends versus ex-girlfriends. For, <laughs> like, sure, for sure. And then, you know, once you get into it, you realize, oh, it's, you know, you have control of all that. So like the royal blue thing just kind of stuck and i went with it so now it's just kind of nice like like i said having that filter and i can always blame shit on my alter ego oh that was royal <laughs> blue man that that was not aob that was royal blue. <laughs> aob andy o'brien welcome to the podcast how are you sir i'm doing well man thanks for having me paul uh, i am in salida colorado where i have resided for about the last 3 years um i've been in colorado 
exclusively residing for going on a little over 13 years. Um, I'm originally from uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, grew up as kind of a uh, uh, doing the whole kind of like Olympic development style um, ski racing. And by the time I was 18, I was kind of burnt out on the whole Bash and Gates thing. So my goal was just to get out west to ski. So I moved to um, Missoula, Montana, did the whole college thing slash, you know, 150-day ski seasons. Um, during that time, I, you know, kind of bumming it as your young 20s, as you should. Um, I realized how expensive skiing was. So that was kind of a push to get me into rock climbing, which has kind of become my biggest passion as far as my outdoor pursuits going. Um, after graduating college in 04, um, kind of killed some time coaching climbing professionally in um, out of a gym in Missoula that is no longer. Um, after a couple of years of that, I, you know, I, Figured I, I knew I needed to stay in the Rockies, but I needed kind of an economy that could, I could work with. So that kind of led me to um, uh, moving to Colorado. Um, after moving to Colorado, um, it wasn't too long after that that um, I kind of stumbled into stand-up paddleboarding. Um, it's kind of interesting timing. I was actually just getting back home from a... Um, a funeral of actually my father I'd gotten back to Colorado and a good friend of mine, she was dating a guy who had a couple of old school surf tech epoxy paddle boards. And he looked at me and he's like, you know, you look like you're in shape. Let's go do this. If you wreck the board, you got to pay for it. So like my, inter my introduction to stand up paddle boarding was the Eagle river at like flood stage, like, gripping everything for dear life kind of thing running class three wave trains on my knees and that was man that was freezing like probably did you even have the right clothes to wear i i had part of it i i know i had a wetsuit top but like i was probably just in board shorts so uh that kind of that kind of rounded me out so my, my three passions are my climbing my paddling and my skiing and th th having those three sports kind of lets me have real serious pursuits regardless of the weather or regardless of where I am in the world. Awesome. So that's, that's kind of me in a nutshell. That's you in a nutshell. And we've had the opportunity to paddle a couple times, uh, a little bit in, in Colorado, but I think the, the, the best time for me was Patagonia, Northern Patagonia on the Petroway river. Absolutely. That, <laughs> man, good trips. That was, uh, that's definitely one for the books, man. Uh, and <laughs> it's part of the it's part of the thing too. And this this crosses over the skiing, the climbing, the paddling, the actual activity. See, you know, it only makes up 20, 30 percent of the time. You know, that you're actually doing things when you're on these trips. It's the people, the cultures, the experience of it that are uh, are just really what they're about, as opposed to like, oh, I'm just gonna go and paddle, or I'm just gonna go and climb. 
it's I mean, it's a it's a whole package. I mean, you couldn't have a trip to Patagonia without your Piscolas. And and you definitely had uh, you had you had your your share of that. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, it's hard to get Pisco. It's hard to get Pisco in the state. So I needed to, you know, stock the body up on it for a good couple of years. (laughs) (laughs) You were a fan of it. And and like you said, the uh, traveling uh, traveling is a variety of experiences and I'm building as I'm building this podcast I'm really identifying what travel is to me and so I throw the word adventure travel in it and some people scratch their head and say that's dumb but you know I guess there is a difference between you know going to a place and renting a, a condo for a while and the only locals that you see are like the the butler or the the maid or the person at the front counter or your tour guide I think adventure paddleboarding is simply not that Going out and riding a bus with locals and and finding your own way to to experience the place and uh, your trip to Patagonia certainly was that I saw you on a bus I saw you in you know a variety of places that uh, 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 just a, a tourist wouldn't have done Ab- absolutely for me it's I've never been very good at making really dedicated plans and the few times that I've made the really dedicated plans is when the plans fall apart. So like your ability to flow and just kind of adjust to what's happening. I mean, you know, in paddle sports, when you're setting shuttle, learning how to set shuttle via public bus systems is a little bit of a different activity than like, oh, I'm just gonna rent a car, kind of stay isolated. I mean, my our first experience with the buses down there is you know, you're yelling alto, you know, you're trying to get the bus to stop before you finally realize the word they use is stop. <laughs> it's like you're going through every language you can think of. And it's like all I had to say was stop and they would get it. <laughs> but it's, it's learning. It's learning those mistakes the hard way is what half the experience is. I mean, the hard way is more to me. The hard way is synonymous with the fun way. <laughs> you, know, you never know it's a bad idea until you've done it five or six times. Tell me a little bit about that trip for you. How did you get down there and, and uh, what were you doing? So um, that was a trip, you know, uh, a Hala, Hala sponsored trip um, that my buddy Joey Saputo, another Hala team rider, um, Joey. hit me up. <laughs> yes. Uh, Joey hit me up uh, asking How if I had to. How you doing, Joey? um i'm guessing man we did not have a ton of pre-planning on that i want to say we only did it three we we bought the flights and everything like three or four months um ahead of time um and then another teammate cammy swan um she was able to join us um at that time frame um i was pretty busy with work um, I'm not sure what Joey was doing exactly, but Cammy kind of came up with our rough plans and our rough who we'd meet. And then obviously knowing you and Eduardo were down there. Um, so that was kind of just the impetus was just hell. Let's take a paddle trip, you know, in the northern hemisphere is winter. So to get some sun down there and just get on a bunch of water that we knew for a fact hadn't been supped a whole lot, if at all, in a lot of places. Um, and it was kind of just open-ended, like, let's just see what kind of experience we can have with it. It, w- it was a really good learning lesson with how to travel extensively with the gear that's needed for paddleboarding. There's a lot of refinements that I was able to make post-Patagonia. <laughs> yeah. That didn't work. And, yeah, yes. Maybe we'll go for that one. <laughs> yeah, it's when you have 
you know, it's, it's, I look at it this way. If you're a hundred percent comfortable, you're not progressing, you know, you're just maintaining. So that constant, like 10%, just this feels weird. This might not feel right. You know, you don't want to be like everything about this is wrong, but like having just little bits for like, all right, I know I can tweak this. I know I can tweak that, you know, that's, it keeps you, you know, keeps you going. What would you recommend for a person who wants to do an international trip uh, to chase rivers on a paddleboard? How would you, how is your experience in refining that experience uh, uh, inform your advice? The biggest thing is despite still using inflatables, paddleboards, paddles, um, pumps, things like that, you really want to fine tune how you pack that stuff. Like the travel bags are great. But if you're bringing, especially like in my case where I had, you know, I had a whitewater specific board and then I had a board capable of surfing, really getting that into something that you can carry on your back efficiently is clutch. Um, you got the breakdown paddle, obviously the pumps in there, but something with like a legit waist strap, something that can be thrown around. Um, Cause I mean, it wasn't a big issue, but we, you know, security is an issue too. Like if you're, you know, sitting on the side of the road and you got four bags that could have been two, you know, it's a lot more convenient to just be able to think of it as like a self-contained unit. Like I need to be able to move function and get around without being like, Hey, can I get four people? You know, you don't need a team of porters to help you <laughs> get your shit going. But yeah, the biggest thing is just streamline. Um, you know, most people I would assume taking international trips like that, you know, things like when to wear a wetsuit versus a dry suit, you know, versus board shorts, that kind of thing is dialed. It's all about just how to literally pack very, very streamlined. And your experience, you wanted to do a variety of things. You wanted to surf on the ocean and do some, you know, some touring and some whitewater. And all of a sudden that just that board and that type of gear and a helmet and some retractable leashes and blah, blah, blah. It just becomes, yeah, you have four bags and you're throwing those things on, on a bus. I, I went there to do some outfitting with uh, Eduardo and uh, I had two rolling travel bags and within an hour of being in country uh, from airport to the bus station to another bus station or to the bus station. So I could go down South to Puerto Veras. Um, I had one of the bags gone, stolen half yeah. of my gear gone within an hour. And uh, that was just, you know, bad traveling experience. But yeah, when you're not self-contained, when I, I was rolling two of these huge board bags with, you know, my gear camping gear for three months, uh, put one bag next to a security guard while I wanted to, you know, get a beverage. I'd just been, you know, flew down there, uh, turned around less than a couple of seconds, literally less than a couple of seconds. I turned around, my bag was gone. You know, I looked at the security guard and he just was like, eh, yeah, well, I yep. became streamlined pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, for me, uh, you know, there's a, there's a handful of brands out there that make them, but like base camp duffels, the ability to put two boards together, roll them as tight as you can yep. and get them into a one large bag was sure. kind of critical. Um, I, that's since, since that trip, that is now how I travel. And it gets yeah. pretty heavy pretty quick. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, 
That's where the all the climbing keeps me fit enough to haul all the other shit. <laughs> the sport, all crossing up those three sports does great cross training. So you know, if I'm not 100% paddle shape, at least I'm fit to haul big ass heavy bags. We're gonna talk about climbing in a second, but let's talk one more little bit about uh, river paddleboarding. Where where's your favorite place to paddle? So my favorite place to paddle is home, man. The Arkansas River. Um, I'd have to, if I had to pick a specific stretch, I'd have to say the numbers, um, a really good class four local run. It's one of those ones where it's, um, I like the numbers a lot just because depending on water levels, it can be multiple feelings in it. Like there's, you could physically run it in the middle of winter just to get out there and see, you know, nature and be pretty kind of thing, you know, where you're kicking your board 20% of the time just cause it's so shallow. Then there's, you know, the ideal flows that like 600 to 800 range where it's just a paddleboarder's playground. I mean, you can safely run all the big drops. There's enough eddy service um, just to be safe and have fun with it. And then there's the then there's the levels, you know, like above a grand where I don't really want to be on there on a paddleboard. But, you know, that's a great time. Bring the friends out, get on the raft, you know, get out the ducky, get out a different craft. That would probably be my favorite stretch. And, you know, obviously it's local for me. Sure. And would you say that the, the Salida, the Arkansas River, is the, maybe not the birthplace, but the, the epicenter of modern river paddleboarding? You know, it has a lot of roots here. Um, it's, you know, I Charlie MacArthur over in the Roaring Fork Valley in Aspen, he kind of, I feel we can credit him as far as bringing it to Colorado. Um, it took off really, really well here in the Arc Valley, partially due to the river and partially due to the, um, park in town. Um, Zach Hughes and Mike Mm -hmm. Harvey of Bad Mm -hmm. Fish were, I mean, absolutely instrumental in get things going. They were, you know, skater surf culture guys that got into kayaking, you know, in their college years and that kind of thing. They were really keen on just being able to surf waves and that kind of the surfing i'm not so much a surfer myself i love i equate surfing and running white water to like a snowboarder who's a park rider versus a snowboarder who's a big mountain rider sure the the access of the arkansas just kind of it was it was a natural flow for paddling to take off that way here that being said though it's kind of interesting because not a ton of the art is what I would consider like beginner friendly. You know, we're ge- geologically, we're younger mountains. So we got a lot of like, don't fall right there. You are going to hurt yourself. Don't let your board hit right there. You're going to wreck a board. It's not what you would think as the ideal location, but because of all the rafting and all the kayaking that already existed here, the infrastructure for it was so easily to morph. But I will say because of that, it let us step our game up very quickly. I mean, I went from a noob to running class three in one summer. I mean, I was hooked. I mean, that summer I was probably paddling three, four days uh, a week for, I mean, that lasted for a while. I mean, there was a good three years there where like everybody was just like, oh man, this sport is, I can progress very quick. I, I feel like that's kind of a thing, an impetus for a lot of people to cross over sports is when you're plateauing in something else. Like at that time frame, I just wasn't psyched on my climbing. There hadn't been a couple of good winners for skiing. 
this was all something I could pour my heart and soul into and see immediate results and, you know, paddle my ass off and get good quick. But yeah, the Arkansas, I mean, we, the amount of paddlers here is insane, but it's also like, this isn't always the best spot to paddle. Like (laughs) there's, there's good stretches for everything, but it's like, you know, this stretch, this time, this stretch, that time. And then we're unlike, you know, the Northwest, like you guys have come winter time. We really don't have much paddling. You can always get out and do it, but a lot of it's just, you're doing it for the sake of doing it. I mean, like we have a huge new year's day meetup on the Shoshone stretch of the Colorado. Mm-hmm. I mean, new year's day in the Northern hemisphere is not typically a water <laughs> sport day. So, I mean, there's, there's all the people to do it. It's just, I think it's just a lot of motivated people that are like, you know, I have it here. Let's do it was did you have much whitewater experience before stepping on a board so i did not i i was one of those few that had to learn water and paddling at the same time i had a bad experience on whitewater uh it was like summer of maybe 2000 i was uh up in idaho near i don't even know what river i was on to be honest i was kayaking a full moon kayak um we were on a wave so you know it's it's nighttime but you know pretty full moon and i had to roll and while i was upside down i had a blade of the paddle one end dig into something in rocks and the other end caught me in the throat so like i did the full you know bail out you know luckily people saw me because you know i i dropped you know the boat wasn't connected to me the paddle was gone you know people were able to recover all my stuff and no lasting injuries but i'm like i just don't like this no you're underwater you know you're uh, yeah i'm hurt and i'm drowning like (laughs) the combination just wasn't good and Uh. then i never really had a drive for it and then about uh, 12 or 13 years ago i broke my back um in a backcountry ski accident um sounds way worse than it is but any sports where i'm consistently sitting so mountain biking road biking any any saddle sport is wildly uncomfortable but as I started being around kayaking more, I just didn't have the urges for it. So when the stand-up paddling started, you know, coming around, I'm like, oh, man, this is my opportunity to be on the water and not basically have my legs and back just pissed at me from a prior injury. Sure. But yeah, it was I, – I, 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 I was hook, line, and sinker, man. I, I started paddleboarding, like – and this is how I do kind of anything. I'm not a – half-ass like when i want to do it i'm all in which was also fun at that time you know 10 11 years ago the sport was such in its infancy as far as the whitewater aspect i mean i started with epoxy boards i went from like a surf tech epoxy to a surf tech b1 but you know that board i think was made out of like hot tub material i mean there was all (laughs) kinds of stuff i mean I, i like the day the day that i met peter hall the owner of Halla. And paddled one of his prototype atches was like such a like light turning on, dude. I'm like, oh my god, this is this is a whole different sport on an inflatable than it is on an epoxy board. Like I'll be at, like outside of true surfing, I so maybe five to ten percent of my paddling is done on rigid boards these days. Like I am inflatable, inflatable, inflatable. Yeah, as as am I. Um... Yeah, materials, styles of paddling, 
you know, a lot of people try to make a river paddleboarding a purist sport. This is the one way. This is the one material. This is the one destination. This is the the one blah blah blah. Like, nah, it's not. And as I uh, evolve throughout the the industry, I'm reminding myself that I just like being out and traveling and paddling and doing my own thing. So I'm, I tried to not to be a, a purist, and but yeah, I'm, I'm on an inflatable because it works for me. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, it's like. Uh, like a perfect example is like running, you know, so the Arkansas has, you, you got numbers, you got, um, the fractions, you have, um, the Royal Gorge, you have some things that are there. Luckily we have railroad tracks next to it. So I could go run the gorge at maybe a questionable level and just know, like, I don't need to be this guy that's so purely focused on making the run. I can just get out and walk this little piece. Like, or I can, if I'm not comfortable with this, drop to my knees preemptively. Like, yeah, there's always style points, but what do you want to be? The guy that didn't go because you felt you couldn't stay in your feet the whole way or the person that took a knee for like 10% of the run just to get through it. Like it's open to so much more levels of abilities than I think people think. Cause you, you do whitewater supping. It has a very intimidating feel to it. I mean, everybody wants to see the badass shots you drop in class four or class five. Like, I mean, it's easy to make it look gnarly and cool. There's so much fun to be had in four miles of class two where, you know, your buddy's in a kayak, your buddy's in a ducky. You got a crew in a boat with all the beer. I mean, it's it's <laughs> what you want to make of it. Trying to purify it to like very specifics, just you'll end up frustrating yourself. Yeah, and then get into to social media nonsense. I'm looking at your your Facebook page, <laughs> the the Royal Blue O'Brien Facebook. Uh, and what came to my with the first thing that comes to mind, uh, like you're a hardcore climber. Like a lot of your social media is about climbing. So like you're doing these these insane boulder problems that I can't even imagine on, and then it goes right into. <laughs> Kevin Ray distributors, Brazilian blowouts. I'm gunning for that. The visual raconteur. I supply hairdressers with everything they need to function. So I sell shampoos, conditioners, like all hair care. That's um, that's kind of the side part of it, though. The main part of it is the stuff they can't deal without. Their color, their extensions, their smoothing treatments. The stuff they have to have. So basically, if you think about it, they're services. Yeah. So like a hairdresser can go to work without a bottle of shampoo on their shelf. They can't go to work without their level six end color to cover gray. They can't do their extension client without that hair in stock. So it's all the the services that they provide. I'm the guy that they call to order, but more so I'm the guy they call. I turn somebody's hair slightly pink. Or I can't get this gray to cover, or I got extensions falling out. I put in over the weekend. What do I do to fix it? So it's all it's 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 much more consulting type sales. So you know I've been with the same company thirteen years, so it's not like I don't have the old school grind where like I'm cold calling for three days of the week kind of a thing. Do you consider yourself a content creator? You know. I guess I really haven't considered it that it's just uh, in hindsight. Now I'm thinking I obviously do. Uh, it's just one of those things where, you know, like there's always the people I, I just like to show what I'm up to. 
And, you know, there used to be like the, oh, I don't want to get harassed with emails or I don't want to see this. And then you start to realize, well, like everybody's in control of what they see. Like, if you don't like my content, just skip it. So like there was kind of like an etiquette thing, like where you kind of blurred that line, like, oh, well, you know, I'd rather have too much than not enough because anybody who's bored with my content, like, it'll be funny, like, you know, the climbing, the paddling stuff will get like 30 likes. Sure. The picture with the lady and the dog gets 200 likes. So it's like the majority of the people can give a shit about what I'm actually doing. But then it's funny because at work, I don't, I don't maintain a separate professional and personal page because so many of the, my clients were into what I was up to. They just might not necessarily click on it. Cause I'll walk in they'll be like, Oh my God, it's so like, they'll talk to their, it's like an icebreaker I walk in, they have a client in the chair and then I'm doing you know i walk in to do my thing and they're like oh this guy climbs this or paddles this and it's like you know it's just like something easy to mesh in where i finish the conversation like oh yeah and you needed you know a thousand dollars worth of hair sweet i'll get that ordered to you so i guess i guess i technically am a content creator i don't know i don't know if there's an actual definition or hard criteria for that these days but social media for me is it's it's originally it just started with my job it was an easy way to make money without having to pay for anything i mean it's you get stuff it's free advertising i mean it's hard to say no to social media to me is it's something that no matter what it's here to stay it's not going away so embrace it in a way where you know you're not causing detrimental issues to your mental health and stuff i mean i see so many people like to me, social media for me is purely a highlight reel. I'm not yeah. showing you me in tears because, you know, it's a rough anniversary of something like yeah. I'm just showing the good things. You know, I and initially when I started with social media, I was just kind of nervous about it. Like, you know, the ability to somebody to jump on and badmouth you or, you know, you know, totally disagree with you. I, I don't get sucked into that kind of stuff. I post what I like to see from other people. Um, as far as the business side goes, it's easy to say, Hey, I got a new product out there. Here's, you know, take a look at it. You know, lots of times it's just a demo of how somebody's using it or showing you something else. That's cool. It's like the, it's the icebreaker for me. It's also the reasoning why I don't have a business, a personal versus a professional page. My clients, they'll see my page. And when I walk into a salon trying to sling the latest new bleach or something, they're like, oh, yeah, I saw you on the river this weekend. I saw you on the rock. Like, it's a conversation that eases everybody. And then business happens after the fact. So I've blended the two. Um, I mean, I definitely like no politics. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not sh throwing up pictures of me crushing beers and slamming shots. Like, it's just stuff that I like to see. And it's stuff that I like to see from other people. Um, you see a lot of the climbing specifically because climbing is very easy to shoot yourself as opposed to paddling where you definitely sure. need a photographer. My early days of paddleboarding, man, I GoPro'd everything. I mean, the terabytes of footy that I have that are just boring to watch. <laughs> They're just <laughs> not good. Like, you know, it's an hour of like a camera got, got kicked off angle, stuff like that. So it depends on the sport and what you're doing. I realize, you know, a lot of people 
you know, the, the, the one minute kind of cap on Instagram to me is something I like because it's like after a minute, I'm not really watching much of anybody's stuff anyways. Um, I do also like how even with more professional level stuff, you just see stuff that's done on something that the average Joe can recreate, like shooting things from a phone. To me, like you think like, oh, that's kind of amateurish, but it's kind of what people want because it's relatable. Like mm. the kid, the kid that just got his first skateboard at the skate park can go shoot himself learning how to kickflip on his phone. So when you see like the person you're looking up to with like, oh, this is just a GoPro from his helmet or this is just a GoPro on his chest or this is just a phone set up on a tripod. That kind of stuff's inspiring to me because it makes the like upper echelon stuff seem more obtainable. So like, you like I, my I drone footage? Drone, I love drone footage. I absolutely <laughs> love drone footage. But it's, it's one of those things where like it starts the stoke. But like if you had 10 minutes of just drone footage in, connected, I'm, you lost me at a couple minutes because I'm just like – you know, it's it's amazing. It's almost like I have to tell myself to stop thinking about it. It's like watching ski porn. You're like, man, if I had the helicopter and I had the person taking me there, I'm not hucking backflips off that, but I'm still able to ski that kind of thing. Like the production value can, can, can in my opinion, can get to a point where it's so high that I'm like, if I watch this, I'm just going to be vibrating because I just want to go do it kind of a thing. Like <laughs> there's just something about the, slight glitchiness the sh not professionally done mm. but just seeing the the reality of it when it's shot from a phone or a personally worn gopro that i really appreciate i always love though the high production you know put it on drone put a soundtrack to it i mean of course i'm gonna love that but the that to me is like it seems like it's just a touch less within my grasp like when i'm seeing a phone footage it's like i can go do that like it opens it up to me a little more that's a, that's a great perspective. And I think uh, creating imagery and storytelling is all about perspective. So thanks. Uh, I, I, I really try. Yeah, yeah. I've always been shy of the, the GoPro and, and the, the cell phone footage because it does look, in my opinions, like I, I just want a little bit more. But yeah, that, that makes a, a ton of sense. I'm going to go shoot a cell phone video. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, I, it's, it's you always want more. Like if I shoot... I mean, paddling with a drone is a no-brainer. I mean, it's just, it's hard. I mean, unless you have somebody, like, on shore, like a clear shoreline where somebody can run, like, you're just going to miss a lot. And that's why you see such, you see way more climbing footage where it's a still setup versus sure. my paddling footage, which is somebody else is shooting it. I mean, the amount of hours I've spent with my GoPro clipped to the end of my paddle blade at, you know, I'm going to sit at number five and just have people run laps and film it. So there's a lot of logic to certain things, but like a, a good mix of it at all. Like, you know, you want to show, you want to show somebody who's never paddleboarded, you know, show them the glossy footage. This is how exciting the sport can be. But then like what I'm going to, you know, that new person, you know, maybe follow the person that's showing, you know, here's me with my cell phone at a put in or at a takeout, like showing reality, like, you know, the guys that are the best in the biz, it's, they're not, they're really good at their actual pursuit, but like running shuttle, all these like little basic things, like all that is what everybody experiences. It's not like this 
I don't know. I feel like you, you kind of grow up. Like I grew up with like, you know, standard team sports, like you're a soccer player, you're a basketball player, whatever, like, and you look at the pro level of it and it seems, you know, they're making all this money. They're so far away from what it started when you do these, you know, not as mainstream adventure sports, you know, a year into it, you're rubbing elbows with the best in the biz. You know, you're, you can sit around a campfire and talk shop with, you know, the guy that you saw that glossy drone footage of, it's, it's just a much more relatable thing to me. Totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. Love the perspective. And uh, remind me exactly what you do in, in salons. (laughs) So I, my, because I'm always like, if there's blue hair in your photos or green hair, like, (laughs) yes, I love it. (laughs) So my day job or the job that pays the bills um, which I would say is a passion in itself too. I work in professional salon sales. So I work for a distributor, Kevin Ray distributors out of uh, Denver, Colorado. My territory is basically all the mountains of Colorado and the Southern front range. But what I do is I make sure hairdressers have access to all the tools they need to do their job. So a lot of it's, it's, it's the definition of like consulting slash relationship sales. You know, you, you can't get your color to cover a client's gray hair. You call me, I fix your problem. Your, your client with thinning hair wants to thicken it up with extensions. You call me, I solve your problem. You want to tame your frizzy mane. That's I'm here for you. It's, 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 I'm the definition of, uh, how I got getting into it all on the who you know, not what you know. I mean, it's all about connections. I mean, I got my degrees in anthropology. I use little pieces of it every day, but like, unless you're getting your PhD in anthropology, you're not making money directly off of that kind of thing. So I've just kind of been, you know, it, it ties into the non-planning thing, man. Like I, I, I didn't declare my major until my last semester in college. I just pieced together what I had. And I was like, all right, what's the closest thing I'm to getting, you know, like, I feel like if I plan too hard, it's always going to fall apart and then I'll be upset. It's like, it's like high school prom or something. Like there's always <laughs> going to be the girls in tears in their dresses when it's like you, you didn't do exactly what they knew you weren't going to do. <laughs> it's like, so for me, it's, 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 you know, part the jobs freedoms of, uh, you know, I have, I have funny hours. I mean, I don't, I can't go to work before 10 o'clock in the morning. Really. There's nobody there to work with. Most people don't want to see me after four. So I got a schedule that enables I can go and ski for an hour and a half that morning and then go to work or I can I can do business on a chairlift. I can do business on the river. I mean, I can't tell you how many hairdressers now own paddle boards or, you know, it's it's to me. It's just there's always been that, you know, that old saying, do what you love and you never work a day in your life. That is so wildly unobtainable. I mean, how many people want to be photographers? there's just everyone everyone wants to be a photographer i mean nobody would say no that'd be terrible job everybody would like it but there's it's so hard to be good and so hard to find your little aspect of it that to me it's find a job that you like that isn't controlling your life and make that work with what your passions are my selling hairspray and shampoo allows me to go to Patagonia and run rivers that I've, you know, that are some of the first people to ever sup it. It's all about, all about finding that good blend. Finding the good blend. And you're not talking about a Brazilian blowout 
or, or, or a pisco sour <laughs> yes pisco sour man they're all about the ratio very little sour lots of pisco <laughs> <laughs> the the philosophy of life according to royal blue o'brien it's about the yep. ratios <laughs> yes more, mo- more of the potent and less of the sugar <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> and it's so yeah. crazy like how much sugar people want in their lives like the the substance of of your of your beverage or whatever the the, the metaphor of life is they're just filling it with just like flavor and coloring and all of this and the substance goes away and away and away so oh it's it's a perfect way to put it i mean that even ties into like how we were talking about you know what you travel with like at home i you know i have the exact board for exactly this the exact fins for exactly this the exact apparel for exactly this learning to be a little flexible like i'm only going to bring one set of knee I'm going to bring 1.5 neoprene to do everything. Yeah. Am I going to be a little too hot in some days? Of course. But the, I also don't have, now I'm much lighter and I don't have to carry all this extra stuff. It's it, you're exactly right. That like find the core parts that are important. All the superfluous stuff on the outside starts to be less and less important. Uh, the philosophy of life. I, I studied philosophy. You studied anthropology and yeah. it allows us to, to go paddle on rivers. Um, exactly. I mean, philosophy, I mean, like philosophy, it's like to make money directly off philosophy, you got to pursue that pretty hard. But there's not a day that goes by where there's not some philosophical thought or debate or something that where it plays into, you know, what you need to know. I suspected because when, when I was in school, I was suspected that I was going to work in academia, teaching history, teaching philosophy, wearing tweed. Remember that scene? Yeah. With Indiana Jones, like the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, where. Indiana is, you know, getting the gold sculptor and like has this whip and he's afraid of snakes and it's just really this adventure guy. But like, uh, yeah, I bought that. But like the scene where he's teaching anthropology and he looks into the audience and there's this girl w- with like makeup on her eye that says, I love you. And she winks at him like, I want to be a teacher. <laughs> yes. Like my yes, dream dude. was to have girls <laughs> wink at me with the word I love you on it. So clearly you had to wear tweed and be a teacher for that. Yeah. Dude, I think tweed is. I think we need that. We need to talk to Peter about some holla, holla tweed action. A deck pad, at least, with some tweed on it. A, a limited edition Paul run. <laughs> Get you that day to day tweed. <laughs> in the, in the last few minutes that we have here, uh, give me some optimistic words about the future. Where where are we heading uh, after these dark times that may be coming brighter? Who knows? You know. <laughs> For me, I have, you know, obviously I'm in a, I'm in a better situation than most could be. And I feel for all those that are really struggling, but the, the light at the end of the tunnel for me is this truly, you know, unlike any time ever before, it's the first time something that we're like, the world is experiencing at at the same time. I mean, like we've had pandemic, you know, like Spanish flu, things like that, you know, it happened everywhere, but like, you didn't have this you could literally be living in a town on the mountains that just didn't know about it and just didn't have it. Like this is everybody is going through it. It's, it's something that you, you know, all the things that go wrong in your life that you try to find somebody to talk to, to relate to, like, this is one thing that like, you don't have to look for anybody. You can just be like, Hey, you know, remember when that happened, it's going to get better. And we're all dealing with it at the same time. I mean, I'm, you know, everybody could argue logic is, you know, response to things, what to do, that kind of thing. 
you know, it will get better regardless. It's going to get better. And you have a, it's the first time ever that you've got something where any person you meet, you can talk to and relate to it. You know, some have it way worse. Some have it way better. Some have it exactly the same. But to me, it's a little bit of a kind of like humanity bonding session. Like it really highlights how all how human everybody is like you spend a lot of time struggling like i'm the only person that feels this way and it's just ridiculous like everybody's had shit go on it's you just you can finally wrap your head around like you're not the only one in this boat like there's the rest of the world is there to help you help bail out and then sail on to whatever uh destination you're headed man i i it's i'm ready to get back after reality uh Mm -hmm. But as far as all the bad parts of this, I'm definitely taking it in stride as a learning experience how to move forward. I mean, I, I think like like you know, you see how terrible it is for like the high school seniors and stuff, how they don't have that stuff. It's like you don't have it, but you lost that, you know, your senior prom or your graduation walk, but you gained a huge bonding experience that's gonna be way hopefully. more powerful through the rest of your life. Yeah, hopefully for sure. And what I've been hearing as a commonality is the, the experience of deprivation, the, the, the experience of losing something. For some, it's losing parents and friends and livelihood. For others, it's losing the elements of lifestyle that you've taken for granted or maybe you felt entitled to have, like a high school prom or a high school graduation or your summer trip or whatever it might be. This idea of like, oh, we can't have it anymore, so let's remember what's valuable. Like, if you wanted that high school prom or if you wanted that summer trip, now that's what you're thinking about, and you're going to make it happen some way, somehow, in another thing. It just really makes you think what's important in your life, and the people that I've been talking to really are, like we've been talking about your ratio for life, really like slimming down what's important Absolutely. and getting rid of the, the stuff that maybe you felt entitled that you could have. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's funny because, you know, like you see things like, all right, everybody's able to online shop and do all these things. Like you realize, like I've had, you know, probably a package every other day of something like this, you know, something little showing up. Like, you know, it's cool that, you know, you get hung up on the materialistic side of things, but like you really start to value like, you know, sweet, I got a new pair of Astro Kicks, but I can't go with a, you know, I can't go get in the shuttle van with 10 people and talk about things like you realize, oh yeah, that's just the the sugar, the outside stuff, the core, the the potency is the connections. Well, thank you so much for connecting with me today. Uh, no problem, man. Anytime. I've, I've I've been wanting to hear your voice, wanted to see your face, wanted to get your perspective on certain things. What do you think the future of river paddleboarding is? In a couple of words. Uh, you know the. I think it's going to be. Innovation is always going to be key. Um, I just look at like what our what the boards we're using now versus ten years ago have allowed us to do. Um, I think we have narrowed it down a lot. Like I don't I don't think we're leaving inflatable technology anytime soon, um, and constantly pushing. Um, it's that, and I see it, it'll be a little interesting with since this whole pandemic and like events, you know, like GoPro games, things like that, that, you know, FibArc, things that aren't happening. Um, once those are picked back up, I mean, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of racing, 
I race to be around the community and to push other people there. Mm -hmm. I just feel there's a lot of people that don't know what they're capable of in all parts of life. Like that's too extreme. That's too hard. That's too uncomfortable. Um, whitewater paddleboarding as a, as a sport, it is a hard sport, but it's a lot easier to get into than you think, you know, it's, it, of course there's the expense and things like that, but I mean, you know, you can drop thousands of dollars on hockey equipment. You can drop it on anything. I think the community sense of what pat river paddleboarding provides is unmatched in a lot of other things because it's also new enough. You don't have like the, the like surfer mentality where it's like, you know, the old point break where you're beating up the guy that dropped in on your line kind of thing. Like the best guys are like, dude, try, you know, try changing your stance up like this. It's not get the fuck off my river. It's come paddle with me and try some different things. So I, I have a very positive outlook in where it's headed. Um, paddleboarding as a whole obviously is blowing up the river paddleboarding i think is a little slower just because the intimidation factor but i think we're slowly getting around that and just seeing more good drone footage of what it's like to paddle you know 10 miles a class two low class three like it's it's much more accessible than people think i'm looking forward to explore some more rivers and some more landscapes with you uh uh, let's talk. Let's make a, let's make a trip. Uh, I'm Absolutely, still in New Zealand. I really want to spend, I mean, I think if uh, the few people I'd want to spend time in New Zealand, you might be one of them. Damn straight, dude. I I'm keep that. And I just want to get to your home rivers. I've yet, I'm embarrassed how I've yet to get up there. So sooner than later, man, the multi-day trips, uh, and they're all flowing right now. So I'm in Tennessee until Tuesday and I'm coming back to the Pacific Northwest. Um, and then instantly going up to to Washington to paddle some of those classic spring runoff rivers, the the Metau uh, and the Wenatchee in particular. So thank awesome, you, sir. Man. I'm going to wrap that up. It looks like uh, you're going to enjoy the rest of the day, hopefully. What are you going to do? Uh, today Today's a Monday, man. So I'm going to tie up some loose work ends yeah. and uh, probably go climb a little bit this afternoon. Send it. Thank you, sir. Take it easy, man. Talk to you later. Right on. I'm going to hang up. And uh, again, thank you so much. Uh, thanks for the enthusiasm. Thanks for that smile the entire time. Uh, since I've started no worries, podcasting, dude. I've been noticing how people talk and the, the level of seriousness, how they think. But listening to people smile is a thing. Like, I oh, haven't yeah. really thought about that. Listening to people smile is a thing. Well, because it's funny because you hit me up and I talked to Chayla, my gal, and she's like, oh, you should do it. And I'm like, because yeah. I was... I was one of those guys like, oh man, podcast, everybody's do it, you know? And then like, there's the, cause I don't listen to a ton, but there's, or I hadn't. but I lit the handful that I listen to. It's, it's another thing that just, you're not alone in how you feel. Like that's the yeah. biggest thing to me. Like you think everything you go through, cause it's the first time you felt it. You're the one I'm like, dude, since the beginning of fucking mankind, everybody's been feeling these feelings. So when you just know that you're not alone, it makes such a big difference. So, I mean, I'm, podcast to me man if i'm having a tough time or anything because i get all the driving so i can just throw yeah. in a podcast you know i could throw a commit you know i love the stupid one uh armchair expert with dax shepherd it's like so there's no like set parameters or anything it's just all of a sudden you leave like yeah that guy felt this at 38 i felt the same way he felt at 38 like it's just a comforting feeling <laughs> <laughs> on that i'm gonna sign off thank you sir have a great rest of the day thanks for your time take it easy paul have a good one Adios. Bye. Bye-bye.